So we've been in a series that has gone back about a month and a half, teaching very practically how to pray. Um, prayers about various subjects, various seasons, various um, ways to pray, and we've been teaching this. We began with the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is the simplest prayer that you can pray. It's the one Jesus taught His disciples because it's right there. It's in the Scripture. Uh, my family oftentimes just say the Lord's Prayer before we eat a meal. After that, we learned a prayer of self-examination, how to pray and to examine ourselves at the end of a day. You look back, and I'll look back over two-hour increments and say, what happened today? It's amazing how in, in a 24 or, let's say, 12-hour period even, um, you forget what's gone on. Oh, yeah, that happened today. And a prayer of examination is a useful tool to just look back and remember where God was at work throughout the day, to remember God was at work. We also learned how to constantly be in prayer through prayers of meditation, meditative prayers. And after that, we learned prayers of surrender and repentance. Two weeks we talked about surrender, repentance. Those prayers are the foundation of revival. And then last week, being Valentine's Day, we learned a prayer for our significant others, uh, prayer for a spouse, for those of you who are not, not married. Um, it's still something that I think is, a, is helpful, um, and you can download that podcast. So last week, since we talked about how to pray for your spouse, we decided this week we'll follow that up with, along a similar theme, how to pray for children, how to pray if you have children for your children. But I think this talk will still help you even if you don't have children, um, because I think it takes, you know, there's a cliche, it takes a village to raise a child. And that's why today we showed the, um, the, the camp video. Those were not all of our children, um, but those were the children of the various covenant churches in the Mid-South region gathered together. It's an incredibly diverse and awesome time. Uh, it was my privilege to see my own son come forward and make a decision to accept Jesus last summer at that camp. And uh, they just announced the dates this past week, and so we wanted to lock it into your calendars for those of you with children old enough and it's a perfect timing because today we're talking about investing in children, praying for children. You know, you can't just have a significant other. You can't just have children. You need to invest in them. You need to pray for them, actually. It's, it's, um, it's a foregone conclusion. Yes, we need to pray. And in order to pray for children, um, I'm going to teach a prayer today. And it's called St. Patrick's Breastplate. Now, again, even if you don't have children... I think St. Patrick's breastplate is a wonderful prayer to learn. Um, you can apply it to yourself. You can apply it to other people, to your boss. You can apply it to your family member. But St. Patrick's breastplate, um, uh, before you dismiss it too quick because the word saint is in front of that, let me tell you something about Mr. Patrick. St. Patrick, he wasn't just, you know, he wasn't just uh, somebody that... that wore green and that you, you just celebrate once a year. St. Patrick uh, lived uh, in post-ancient times. He lived at a time when Europe was falling to the barbarians that were invading from the north. This is Sunday school stuff. We've been talking about this after the service. And as Europe, as continental Europe was going down in flames, all the centers of learning and culture were systematically being destroyed. Nothing was left. Libraries. And remember, this was the time of, of Greece and Rome. 
all of the classic learning and all of the, all of the rich heritage was being lost. But you had uh, monks that lived in the British islands, Christian monks who were preserving classical civilization. One thing that monks did, they were people of education and learning. They would, they would just copy. And all of civilization, some people argue, was preserved. At least Western civilization was preserved because of people like St. Patrick. So he was a very important person. Um, the story goes that he was kidnapped at a very young age and taken from, the British, uh, for, from, from Britain to Ireland. And during that time, he was a slave, and he served among the Irish people. He learned their language and their ways, but then he escaped one day only to have God call him to go back and to preach the gospel um, to his captors. And it's, he's a remarkable person, a remarkable story. It's much more than just one day a year where we celebrate St. Patrick's Day. Um, St. Patrick is, uh, is the patron saint of Ireland along with St. Columba. And others, and if you really know about their story, it's a remarkable, remarkable story. And so St. Patrick's breastplate is a beautiful prayer, especially during that time when you consider the barbarity that was going on on mainland and continental Europe. These are the words of protection. These are the prayers of protection that he would pray. These are wonderful words that you can recite over your own children, near or far. So hear these words. If you can pull that up on the screen. St. Patrick's Breastplate. I bind unto myself today. And you can swap out myself. I'll say, I bind unto Zoe today. I bind unto Austin today. And it's amazing, as I'm, as I'm praying this, they're transfixed and they're just listening. I bind unto myself today the strong name of the Trinity. By invocation of the same, the three in one and one in three, I bind this day to you, child, forever. By power of faith, Christ's incarnation, his baptism in the Jordan River, his death on cross for my salvation, his bursting from the spice. Did I skip a line? For my salvation. His bursting from the spiced tomb, his rising up the heavenly way, his coming at the day of doom. I bind unto myself today. Pardon me, this is harder. Let's, let's scroll it this way. I bind unto myself today the power of God to hold and lead, his eye to watch, his might to stay, his ear to hearken to my need, the wisdom of my God to teach, his hand to guide, his shield to ward, the word of God to give me speech, his heavenly host to be my guard. Against the demon snares of sin, the vice that gives temptation force, the natural lusts that war within, the hostile men that mar my course. Of few or many, far or nigh, in every place and in all hours, against their fierce hostility, I bind to me these holy powers. Against all Satan's spells and wiles, against false words of heresy, against the knowledge that defiles, against the heart's idolatry, against the wizard's evil craft, against the death wound and the burning, the choking wave and the poison shaft, Protect me, Christ, till thy returning. Christ be with me, Christ within me, Christ behind me, Christ before me, Christ beside me, Christ to win me, Christ to comfort and restore me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ in quiet, Christ in danger, Christ in hearts of all that love me, Christ in mouth of friend and stranger. 
I bind unto myself the name, the strong name of the Trinity, by invocation of the same, the three in one and one in three, of whom all nature hath creation, eternal Father, spirit word, praise to the Lord of my salvation. Salvation is of Christ the Lord. That prayer is available online on our practical prayer page, both in written as well as audio format. And if you can't recite it, you can listen to it, maybe while you're driving. Um, and I began praying this. Um, I, I pray for my children at night before they go to sleep. And I tried this out, and I would just pull this up on my phone, and I would just swap out their names. It's, it, it takes a little bit of practice, a couple of nights, but eventually it gets into a flow. And you can say these words of protection over your child. It's a beautiful prayer. Having said that, I'm not here actually to preach a prayer this morning. Uh, I'm not going to teach St. Patrick's. I'm going to teach Scripture. And so if you could turn your attention to Proverbs chapter 22, it's on the inside flap of your bulletin. Or if you look in your Bible, Proverbs chapter 22 verses 1 to 16 is going to be our text, our context for this Sunday morning. Um, but still, that prayer I think is a useful, wonderful tool. Proverbs chapter 22, verses 1 to 16. A good name is to be more desired than great wealth. Favor is better than silver and gold. The rich and the poor have a common bond. The Lord is the maker of them all. The prudent sees the evil and hides himself, but the naive go on and are punished for it. The reward of humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. Thorns and snares are in the way of the perverse. He who guards himself will be far from them. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower becomes the lender's slave. He who sows iniquity will reap vanity, and the rod of his fury will perish. He who is generous will be blessed, for he gives some of his food to the poor. Verse 10, drive out the scoffer, and contention will go out. Even strife and dishonor will cease. He who loves purity of heart and whose speech is gracious, the king is his friend. The eyes of the Lord preserve knowledge, but he overthrows the words of the treacherous man. The sluggard says, there is a lion outside. I will be killed in the streets. <laughs> the mouth of an adulteress is a deep pit. He who is cursed of the Lord will fall into it. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of discipline will remove it far from him. He who oppresses the poor to make more for himself or who gives to the rich will only come to poverty. How in the world do you preach that? How in the world does anybody talk through Proverbs? Because Proverbs is a book of one-liners. Each of those one-liners is a book of knowledge unto itself. But here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to talk along two headings. In your bulletin, you'll find the first heading is the path of the Lord. And what I want to do is pull back and take the Google Earth's view of the book of Proverbs. See if I can summarize what Proverbs is all about, because every verse talks about something different. I'm going to look at the forest. 
And so the first heading, the path of the Lord. The second heading is going to be, um, we're going to hone in and we're going to zoom in onto one tree in the forest. And that's going to be verse 6. And that second heading is train up a child. So we'll begin with the Google Earth's kind of pull back panoramic, the, the view of the entire forest. That is the book of Proverbs. That first heading, the path of the Lord. And then we'll zoom in onto one tree in the forest and we'll call that heading train up a child. Again, our focus today is praying for children, investing in children. And so the path of the Lord is where we're going to begin. How do you talk through the book of Proverbs or synthesize or, uh, all these different verses, all these perfect, almost fortune cookie one-liners that the book of Proverbs is? I think that the ethos of Proverbs is simply chapter 1, verse 7, and that should be in your notes. Chapter 1, verse 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. You see, the way that you approach the book of Proverbs, there's three ways that you can approach it. Hang with me here. I'm just going to teach a little bit really quick. The philosopher Aristotle said there are three ways to make a convincing argument. One way is pathos. Pathos is to appeal to a person's emotion. I don't think Proverbs does that. It's not a very emotive, it's not a tragedy, it's, it's, it doesn't have a storyline or an arc. So it's not pathos. Another way, Aristotle says, is to appeal through logos, which is information, a rational argument. Now, Proverbs, there's no argumentation. There's no proofing, there's no... There's no logical progression. It's just all of these one-liners. So I don't think it's logos either. I don't think it's informative. But the third way to convince, Aristotle says, is through ethos. Ethos. Pathos, logos, and ethos. Ethos is to convey a culture, a worldview, and an essence. Proverbs conveys the ethos of the Jewish worldview. To read Proverbs is to understand how the first century Jewish mind, and even, more, and even before that, is to understand how somebody's mind works. Proverbs is a book that says, this is why we have our culture. This is what our values are. I think that ethos is summarized. All of the, all of the single Proverbs are sim- summarized in that verse, chapter 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. Fear. Who likes that verse? Most people don't. The notion of fear is not very popular today. But help, let, let, me, let, me, let me kind of unpack what fear meant. To fear the Lord for a Jewish person at this time. What they're talking about is to recognize that a God exists. There is a God. To fear God means to, first of all, know that there is a God, know that He is watching, and know that He holds us accountable for our actions. If somebody were to say, I could do whatever I want, well, why? Because there is no God. Or if there is a God, well, He's not watching, and there's no justice in the world, so I can do, I can get away, I can get away with all kinds of things. That's actually the total opposite of the fear of the Lord. To fear the Lord is to respect and to know that there is a God and that He does pay good for good or conversely evil for evil. To understand this is one of those things 
that maybe your grandmother taught you. Way back in the day, mom and dad were not home, and your grandmother sat you on her lap, and she taught you, do unto others as you would have done unto you. She taught you, the measure you give is the measure you'll get back. And those one-liners, she's like, oh, grandma, it's so corny, and we kind of go on with our lives. But actually, therein is, containing, is contained the wisdom of the ages. The wisdom of the ages, I believe, is contained in those statements. That's the essence of Proverbs. Proverbs. Fear God. Not be terrified of God, but respect that there is a good, that there is an order, that up is up and down is down still in this world where crazy flip-flop stuff goes on. There is still a good. There is still something that is orderly. God still watches. I... Um, have taken it upon myself to start teaching my son the ways of the good side of the force before he turns into Kylo Ren. And as I've been teaching my son, um, because he's old enough, it's a little challenging. Um, so, how was your day? Good. What'd you do today? I don't know. Do you want to talk about nothing, anything? No. And it starts to kind of, you see where this is going. And I realized that I had to find a deeper way to connect with my child. Um, there's something about children up to a certain age, they're all, it's all physical. You need, to, you need to just physically endure. You're dead tired after work, but you still have to give them a bath. You still have to change diapers. You still have to put them down. You have to make sure that they're not touching sharp objects or falling over the ledge of the roof or something. But then there comes a point where children are able to um, take care of themselves. But now you have to emotionally and mentally get involved because you want to raise your child in the ways of the Lord. And you realize that the mental exertion, it's no longer just a physical thing. Now you have to actually get involved in breaking up their fight. Or you have to get involved in telling them why that happened at school and why this is good and why this is... You have to now, and in some ways that's work. I'm learning. And I couldn't get through to my son because we, we were... Now it's, it's, it's just communication. It's just like, fine, good, I don't know. And so what, what we started to do a couple of, couple of weeks, months ago is I said, let's try this. I know the book of Proverbs is a father instructing his son. The book of Proverbs starts off, the, Solomon, uh, the Proverbs of Solomon. And then you'll hear the words in Proverbs in chapter 1, verse 8. Hear, my son, your father's instruction. And do not forsake your mother's teaching. So I thought this might be a great thing to teach my son. He's old enough to read it. He doesn't understand it, so I'll teach it to him. And it turned out to be really, really positive. Because all of a sudden, my son is asking me, Dad, what is perversity? Dad, why should we fear God? Isn't God love? Dad, what does it mean um, to stay away from the door? Of <laughs> and so on and so forth. And all of a sudden, we're having this very rich conversation, kind of like the day when Grandma seated me on her lap and taught me good from evil. Parents and would-be parents, and actually all of you, because all of our children belong to you, your responsibility to the children is tremendous. They learn from you. And if you do not teach them, they will not learn. 
Here's the application. Fill in the blank. Intentionally. Intentionally train up your child. Train up your child in what? In the way, in the path, in the fear of the Lord. Train them in the ancient ways. Teach them what grandma taught you. Because those ancient ways really, um, they really have a way of preserving the soul, I believe. And for those of you that don't have children, you, you've got at least 20 kids right behind that wall. And it's a really particular church. Not many church plants start with that many children. And so with all of the children here, every single one of them need aunts, uncles, as, long as, as well as their parents. Train up your children in the way and the path and the fear of the Lord. And most importantly, yes, you have to pray. It's, 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 a, it's that's something that, that, you know, we shouldn't even think twice about. You do have to pray for your children. You do have to pray for your spouse. Why? Because who else is going to pray for your child? Who else is going to pray upon your child? So pray for your children. The second, the second half. Now, I mean, that's kind of the ethos. You see, that was the forest of the book of Proverbs. We've kind of looked at the forest. Now I'm going to zoom in, and I want to look at one verse as we think about children. That's verse 6. The second heading is train up a child. We're going to look through Proverbs 22, 22 verse 6 in a detailed kind of phrase-by-phrase phrase manner here. It says, train up a child. Train up a child. The Hebrew word for train up is hanak. And I tell you that for a good reason. Hanak. Just keep that in mind. That word hanak or train up, it's, it's mentioned several times in the Old Testament. Um, one place it's mentioned is Nehemiah chapter 12, where Nehemiah says all the Jews in exile, again, this is Sunday school stuff, all the Jews in exile, let's gather them back to Jerusalem because we're going to rebuild the walls and the temple and we're going to dedicate Hanak. We're going to dedicate the walls. We're going to dedicate Jerusalem. And that word dedication, Hanakah, is the same word that we have here for training up a child, Hanak. In a sense, what it's being said is dedicate a child. Dedicate a child. In fact, that word Hanukkah might sound familiar. Even today, we have Hanukkah. Hanukkah is the commemoration when the Jews, they were rebuilding and they rededicated the temple. And so that idea of dedication, in particular dedicating a temple, is, 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 is wound up in this verse. A child is a walking and a living temple for the presence of God. Dedicate that child. Dedicate that child for good purposes. In a church, you consecrate things. We dedicate this article. We dedicate that. But we dedicate the children. We dedicate them for 20, 30, 40 good years of service to the Lord. Dedicate the child. Dedicate the walking temple in the way that he should go. Now, forgive the gender kind of specific language here. This applies to boys and girls. Dedicate a child in the way that that child should go. Here is where it gets a little bit fun. That word should, dedicate a child in the way that he should go, is actually not present in the Hebrew. The word should is not present. In fact, I'm quite certain in at least some of your Bibles, there is a footnote there. 
And the footnote should say, literally, according to his way. Dedicate a child according to his way literally is what it says. Literally translated. The problem with this is that you have Hebrew idiom, expressions. How do you translate? It sounds confusing. Literally, it says, dedicate a child according to his way. What does that mean? There must be an expression, a turn of phrase there that's kind of lost over the ages. For example, let's say you were with me a couple of weeks back. We were in Chicago, and I was um, connecting with friends I hadn't seen in a long time. There's a pastor I haven't seen. He lives across the country, and we get together, and we say, Yo, what's up, dog? Hit me up after the evening session. Here's my digits. Give me a shout. I feel so old saying that. Now imagine if a scholar... 3,000 years later, yes, 3,000 years later, was analyzing what I just said. What up, dog? Hit me up after the evening. I think they want to fight. After the evening session, no, 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 it's a math contest. Here's my digits. So obviously they're going to do math. No, 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 give me a shout. They're talking about fighting. What exactly are they talking? That's the problem with idiom. How do you, how do you accurately con- capture what is being said in the Hebrew idiom here? Some believe when it says train up a child in the way that, uh, train up a child according to his way, some believe what they are saying is you have to teach a child according to his way. Customize it according to that way that child learns. Customize learning for each child. Some believe train up a child according to his or her way means you train a child according to the child's way. You don't teach a child like you teach an adult. Most biblical translations will simply say, train up a child in the way that he should or she should go. Train up a child in the good way, and then, what does the rest of the verse say? He or she will never depart from it. Train up a child in the good way that they should go, and when they grow up, they will never depart from it. They'll be good for the rest of their lives. The problem with this traditional translation is that for some people, it is simply not true. There are enough parents of older children out there who will say, I did everything I could with that child. I invested, I brought her to church, I loved her, I taught her the way of the Lord, but in the end, she still decided to go her own way. And she did not stay on the right path. That boy, I taught him and did everything that I could. But when he was of age, he departed and went a different path. The problem with the traditional translation of this verse is that there are parents out there that will say, that didn't hold true for us. We trained up our child in the way that he should have gone. And when he was old... He did depart from the good way. What do we do? And this is where I think, this is one of those cases, one of those cases where the literal word-for-word translation actually is saying something. Let's step back from the idiom for a second and hear this word-for-word. Dedicate a child according to his own way. Even when he is old, 
he will not depart from it. Train up a child according to their own path. I was talking about this with Byron this past week. He's a, he's a teacher. And he understood this. You can train up a child actually by not training up a child. There's a, a way to passively teach a child to be stuck. In other words, don't train up a child. Train up a child according to their own way, and when they are old, I guarantee they won't depart from it. Do you see there's a negative understanding now? The traditional positive understanding that has no guarantee. There is no guarantee if you train a child well that that child will grow up well. But I think the greater guarantee is with the statement, if you leave a child alone in passivity and uninvolvement, if you are not present in your child's life, that child will grow up selfish, irresponsible, and destructive and will not change. One way to assure a child will choose a path is to not get involved at all. One way to ensure that a child will be stuck is to be passive and to be not present. And so the call, I, I, as, I've, as I've been thinking about this, the call to be involved and to pray for our children is a tremendous burden. Not a burden. It's, it's a, let me rephrase that. Blessing. Responsibility. Even if you don't have children, the children that you are involved in somehow, even behind, the, behind these walls, are your responsibility to train up in a good way. There are children in the world that do not know the way of the Lord simply because they do not have, um, I believe, father figures. Entire communities. And the absence of the father, and this is not to knock the mother, but there is something about the presence of a father in a community or the absence of a father that breaks down a family, that breaks down a community, that breaks down a neighborhood, that breaks down the schools, which is why the role of a mentoring man is profoundly powerful. When I was a younger man, I had, when I was a boy, I had men who taught me and they protected me. And there's lots of times where these stories can go wrong in this day and age. It, it really is. And, and we have to be protective. But for those times where you have an older brother, an older man, I mean, for me, it was a blessing. I think it's important also for, for daughters. But the point is, as I summarize... Your activity, your presentness in a child's life is what that child needs more than anything else. Your prayers for that child. I do think that this verse is saying quite literally, if you train a child and you dedicate that child to that child's own way, then when that child grows up, that child will be stuck. And we'll be singing, I did it my way on a throne of ashes and disaster and a burnt out life. This is confirmed, I believe, when you look a few verses down at verse 15. 
What does it say in verse 15? Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. I think that confirms that translation, that interpretation that we just had. Children are not born wise. Children are not born ethical any more than they are born knowing how to read. Children are not born wise or ethical any more than they are born knowing how to read. It has to be taught. They have to be taught right from wrong. They have to be taught good from bad. They have to be taught the way of the Lord. And so, in conclusion, two applications and fill in the blanks. In my present circumstances, whatever they may be, whatever stage, for those of you that are parents, whatever stage your children are in, how can I be fully present? for my child? How can I be fully present for any children? Our most valuable resource in this building right now behind that wall. How can, we be, how can we be fully present for those kids, all of them? Present, mentally engaged. Hey, believe me, I know. Once it's 8 o'clock, I'm done with you. <laughs> Good night, go to sleep. I want to watch Netflix or play video games or disengage. But somehow... Being mentally engaged with our children is what God calls us to, I believe. And the second is equally as important. Recognizing now this supreme responsibility, the fill in the blank is, when will I pray regularly with my child or with a child? When will I pray regularly? And so in closing, what do you pray for your child? What do you say? We've been teaching so many things about prayer these last month and a half. Maybe you can just pray the Lord's Prayer. Maybe you can sing a song. You know, one of the praise songs. Maybe you can pray St. Patrick's Breastplate. We've learned a couple of prayers. Use those if you don't have the words. But be involved. Teach your children the way of the Lord. Let's commit to that. Let's close our eyes and pray. Last week was Valentine's, so we're learning to pray for a significant other today. We're focusing on children. I'd like you to just have some time to respond back to God. What is God calling me to today? What holy responsibility is God calling me to today? I want you to hear the call of God upon your life to teach someone to mentor someone, a younger woman, a younger man, a boy, a girl, to teach them righteousness, to teach them the way of the Lord. Hear the call of God at this time. So just pray. Respond in a prayer. Take this time to pray for your children. Maybe some of you also um, in your upbringing, you might say, I didn't have grandma ever put me on her lap and teach me good things. Maybe some of you might relate to my experience. I was a latchkey kid. You grew up letting yourself in. Mom and dad didn't come home until late if they came home at all. You grew up taking care of yourself, but 
you needed to be taken care of. And you grew up in a very hurtful circumstance where you were allowed to go your own way. And you're paying for it today. You're still paying for it today. I know in some ways I am. Pray for yourself then. Pray that God would redeem your heart. Pray that He would show you the ancient path so that you may show it to others. God, I thank you for the miracle that you are doing here at Woven today. Thank you for the work in the hearts of everybody here. Thank you for the holy call to raise our children well. Touch our hearts first, for Lord, we are still committed to our own paths. And it takes nothing short of a miracle of God to turn us towards others, towards your way and away from our own way. So Lord, heal, restore I pray that through the ministry of this church, you would do a tremendous good. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name.